This is for a boy between 9 and 11. I'm in a place called Katakosh, just outside of Mosul. This is a, a church that was completely destroyed uh, by ISIS. As we were coming through, one of our team uh, discovered one of the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. I don't know who gave it, who sent it, but uh, it touched the life of a child at one point. And of course, we ask people when they pack a box to always pray. You never know where that box will go. Where are the lost? Where are the hardest to get to people groups? Where has the gospel of Jesus not been preached and proclaimed? In Acts 13, 47, for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We live in a broken world, an evil world. Yet Jesus gave us orders. He said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a job to do. When we talk about going to the ends of the earth, we're talking about shoebox gifts that are taking the gospel to the hardest to reach areas of the world. If you want to bring hope to a broken society, it's the gospel. An Operation Christmas Child is not about passing out toys, it's about the gospel. Each kid, when they receive that box, they're gonna hear the presentation of the gospel clearly. They make a decision for Christ, and then they're trained and equipped to go out and share their faith with others. And many times in areas where it's an unreached people group, the Bible tells us the time is now. We're in the South Pacific. I want to reach these islands for Christ. These are the poor areas. People don't have any hope. People don't come here. There's no tourists here, but we're going to be here. I'm right outside of Mazlan, Mexico, about six hour drive up in the mountains with Operation Christmas Child. This is where people that are brave are taking Operation Christmas Child to the ends of the earth. We need boxes that are packed by families, by churches and groups, but we also need boxes that are packed online. When you build a shoebox online, these are the boxes that give us access into hard to reach places of the world. We go at great lengths, great effort, to take these boxes to children in the most remote parts of the world. It's an incredible journey. You know, the mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus. Children are coming to faith. Children are being discipled and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, welcome family. How are we doing tonight? It's chilly outside, but I'm glad to be in here where it's warm. Why don't you turn to one of your neighbors, give them a high five, tell them you're glad to see them here tonight. And live streamers, we're so glad you tuned in. Please drop a comment below and let us know that you're watching. We'd love to connect with you. Also, if you are a first-time guest tonight, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Um, there's a first-time guest card in the back of the pew. If you'd like to fill that out, we'd love to get connected with you tonight out in the lobby. So just come see us. We'd love to meet you. 
So the first thing I have is you guys just saw the video. The due date for the shoe boxes is this Sunday. So if you have one that you haven't made up yet or you've made it up and you hadn't turned it in, be sure to bring it on Sunday. These boxes truly make a difference in these children's lives. So let's not forget to do that. I'm super excited to see how many boxes that we got this year to bless these kids. Amen. The next thing I have is how many of you can believe Thanksgiving is next week already? And this is a season just to truly reflect on everything we're thankful for and that we're grateful for. We have a thing out here um, by these main doors on the wall where you can write something that you're thankful for. So I encourage you, go out there. It's so cool to read and just see what people are reflecting on and how many of you are so thankful for Jesus and everything he's done in our lives. Amen? So why don't you guys get on your feet tonight? We're going to worship but I'm going to start us with some prayer. Lord, we welcome you in this place tonight, God. We are just so thankful for everything you're doing and that you continue to do, Father. I thank you, Lord, that tonight this place is a place of freedom, God. I thank you, Lord, that we can lay everything at your feet tonight and surrender, Lord, as we worship you, we praise you, and we learn more about you, Father. We thank you, Lord, that your presence falls in this place tonight. In Jesus' name. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I found you I was breathing but not alive My failures I try to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. You called my Rescue, my sin was heavy, but 
chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are
so come down spirit when you move you make my heart when you fill the room you're here and i know you are moving i'm here and i know you would fill me oh yes come and fill us lord oh holy spirit
came back and got her food order. And then as I was sitting there, she was talking to people on the nearest table. And she said, you know what? She said, I really need this job. She said, I got, I got three kids at home. And she said, this is the only job I got. And so God put his finger on my heart. And I knew what I needed to do. And so after we finished eating, she came around and she said, uh, do you want any dessert? Do you need anything? And uh, Nita said, I just need a carryout box. And I said, uh, I just need the bill. So she brought the box and brought the bill. And I sat there while Nita put her food in the box. And I said, you need to go to the restroom. She said, yes. And I said, uh, you go ahead and go. And I'll pay the waitress. I'll see you at the car. I wanted her to leave. I didn't want her to see what I was going to do. She'd have probably grabbed my throat, taken the wallet away from me. But God told me what to do. And so I took the money out, folded it in half. And when she came around to collect, I handed, put it in her hand. And I said, I won't need any, I won't need any change. She said, thank you. And when I got out to the car and sat there, Nita came out. She got in, in the passenger seat. She looked at me and said, what did you do? She said, how much money did you give her? And I said, I told her how much it was. And she said, why did you give her that much money? And I said, because of something that Pastor Gary Hines said a long time ago. We've been uh, members of Only Belief for over 25 years. Before that, we were members of Calvary Temple Assembly of God in Lima. And our first pastor was Pastor Gary Hines. And one Sunday, he told us that he was the district supervisor for all the Assemblies of God churches in this area. And he said he had gotten a very disturbing phone call. One of the pastors called him up and said, I have to confess to you that I had an affair as the pastor was married. He said, I had an affair with a lady in our church. He said, and I was immediately overcome with grief and shame. I confessed and repented before God. I confessed to my wife and I confessed to the church. He said, I needed to tell you so you don't hear it secondhand. And he said, I know this is a serious matter and whatever you determine as the proper punishment, I will abide by it. So Gary said, I'm sorry to hear that. We'll get back with you. He called a meeting of all the other pastors in his district and told him what what had happened and I said and he said what do you feel is a proper punishment and all the other pastors all of them said throw him out and pastor Hines said I have thoroughly researched this he said I've talked to his wife I talked to the people in the church and this truly was a one-time event and they all said that prior to this, this pastor was a good father. He was a good husband. He was a good pastor. But we can't just sweep it under the rug. We can't just pretend it didn't happen. And he said, after they said that, you know, they all said, throw him out. He said, after I researched this and prayed about it, he said, I believe we should suspend his license for one year. And he said, if I err, I want to err on the side of mercy. And that's been my guidepost. And that's why I did what I did. Because if I err, I want to err on the side of mercy. Now, as we take up the collection tonight, 
I hope you will adopt it as your guidepost too. After you've paid your tithes, I want to encourage you to just ask God what he would have you to do. Just ask him. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, the sheep, my sheep know my voice and a stranger they'll not follow. And I know he'll talk to you. Just do what he says. And if we take care of God's house and God's business and God's people, he'll take care of our house. Father, I thank you for your presence tonight. And I thank you for supplying all our needs. And, and as we hear your voice tonight, Lord, I thank you that we have an opportunity to do what Jesus would do. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity we've had tonight. And I thank you for blessing the offering now. And I thank you for your presence tonight. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. gentlemen, ushers, those of you, yep, you're already headed to small groups. All right, I see you. I think next Tuesday uh, is our last small group until the new year, and then we're going to spin right into 21 days of prayer through the month of January. I'm really excited about that. I'd like, if, if you're wanting to be a part of that, it's going to be a little different than it's been before, but I'd really like you guys to start setting your thoughts on what it is that you want to see happen over 21 days of prayer. What is it? You know, sometimes if we just go into something with no expectation, I think of the gym. If we go in with no expectation, do we really achieve what it was that we were after, right? And I think if we set our focus on something, then we have a much better chance of actually applying ourselves for 21 days to get a different response, amen? So if you would, just start giving a little bit of thought about that. I know I'm excited. I know Randy's already started thinking about what he is expecting from the Lord and what he wants to hear, um, some things he wants to hear about. And then pastor on Sundays in the month of January, we're gonna be teaching on prayer, fasting, and the word and what this three woven cord can do in your life and how to do it in our lives, right? It's important. And sometimes I think we just forget the power of fasting, you know? And I get it. I don't like fasting as much as anybody else doesn't. But I'll tell you this, it gets breakthrough. That's all there is to it. And uh, there's some things in life that sometimes you got to do you don't like to do. We're going to do it. Amen? All right. So let's go ahead and pray. And then we're going to get started in the word. Um, I know they've got small groups tonight, so I got to get rolling. Um, Father, we just come before you tonight in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just give you 
myself, Father, in full surrender. Father, I ask that you prepare the hearts and the ears, Father, of each one of us that is listening in this house tonight. Father, that your word, Father, just like in Isaiah, the 55th chapter, Father, that they would go forth out of my mouth, Father, that they are the words of the Lord that are being spoke tonight. And Father, that they will not return void, but Father, they will do exactly what they were meant to do and bring forth fruit and growth in our life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Okay, so pastor has um, said that we are speaking on a revolution of faith. And I asked him, I said, dad, how long are we gonna be preaching on this? He said, oh, I don't know, a year, two, three, however long it takes. And I said, what? He said, yeah, he said, every single topic in the Bible has faith woven through it. He said, and I feel that if we don't teach the congregation about faith, how will we ever make it through the last days if we don't have faith? And I said, amen, I take it. So tonight, there may be a lot of things that I say that you're like, yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that. But here's what I wanna say. Tonight I've come to have a pep rally for your faith. And I say that because oftentimes there's things that we forget. It's so simple, it's so easy, it's so ABC that sometimes we just dismiss it and say, yeah, I've heard that. But it's one thing to hear it, it's another thing to grab it and do it. So we learned that the revolution means to cause a rebellion, to make a change, to make a sudden change, get so fed up that you are committed to making a change. We have rebellions in lots of places of our lives, but do we have a rebellion or a revolution of our faith where our faith changes where it's been? It's different today than it was yesterday because we set our sights to it and purposed it's gonna change. In a couple of my messages, I've asked you guys to repeat this. I'm gonna ask you again tonight because I think it's important that you say it and you hear it. I'm committed to changing my circumstances with faith. All right? We've learned throughout these faith messages that if you and I as believers in Christ do not apply our faith to life situations, then our lives don't change and the world has nothing to be drawn to us by. What makes us any different from the world if we walk through the same stuff the same way and have the same outcome as the world? Who wants to be a part of someone that proclaims this is a better way? This is the gospel. This is the way Jesus would have us do it, yet there's no significant change in your life and you're still the same you were 10 years ago. That's why we need a revolution of faith in our lives because if all we do is say we have faith but never act upon it, if all we do is say we believe but never receive the fullness of faith in action, then do we really? Because the world is looking at us and asking, where is the church? Where is this savior that does miracle signs and wonders? Where is he? Because I hear you talk about him, but I don't see it happen in your life. But when they see and hear that Jesus is changing everything within, they will be drawn to who he is and they'll want this same change in their life. 
Dad's been using the word antidote. He's been using it actually in the generosity series. But I was thinking about it the other day that, you know, the antidote means it's the cure for sinfulness. It's the cure for sickness and disease. It's the reverse of cancer. The cure for emotional struggle and illness and any other thing that the enemy would bring our way. That's an antidote, right? A cure. But in reality, the antidote is Jesus. The antidote was the savior. He came to save us from all of this stuff. And when we speak the name Jesus, it has power. It's the antidote. He's the antidote. Jesus. Jesus. I've told the story before. My mother, we had a fire in our house. And literally all she did was start screaming, Jesus, Jesus. She was so big, Jesus. No one said no prayer. No one said nothing. My dad literally went up to a pan on fire with an oven mint and walked out of our house and threw it out. The whole half of our house was burnt down, the whole half of our kitchen on Thanksgiving day. And literally my dad was not burned. His socks were singed from where the grease had hit his sock, but there was no burn on his foot. And all she did was scream the name Jesus over and over and over because there was power in his name. When we became born again, we did A, B, C. We accepted what we heard. We believed in Jesus. And then we confessed. It's called the ABC of salvation. That's what it's called. The same faith that, he, that saved you and I when we accepted, believed, and confessed is the same faith that will walk you through your Christian life. Accept what the word said, believe it in your heart, and confess it with your mouth. It's the same ABCs, it doesn't change. It doesn't matter if you're a one-year Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a 365-year-old Christian. That's not even possible, is it? Not in today's world, we're guaranteed 72 years. All right, I get it. The point is, the same faith that saved us is the cure. It's the antidote today for the rest of our lives. Then we must accept what God says first. Then we believe and then we confess it. We say it out loud. Say it out loud. Genesis 1-3 says, and I don't even need to turn my Bible because it's a really short verse. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, how many of you think that was just a little flicker of light? No? No, you think it was light, like the earth lit up, and you could now see in the darkness. It wasn't maybe there would be light. It wasn't that I'll give you a flicker of light. It said, and God said, there was light. When we turn the lights on in the sanctuary, do we just, 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 just enough so you can manage your way through the sanctuary or do we turn the lights on so you can see? Hebrews 11, one through three reminds us that the universe was formed by the words of God at his command. But here's the deal. He spoke it, it was. There was creative power 
in the words of our God. But it didn't just stop there because he gave you and I that same creative power when we speak. When you and I speak. Speak what? When we speak the words that he spoke. Proverbs 18, 21, you've heard this over and over and over and over. Power of life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's you and I's tongue, right? But if we don't use our tongue, then where's the power? Did it say the power of life and death was in the mind? So we don't think about something we want to see done in the spiritual realm. We speak it forth. We confess it forth. If we have to believe in the Lord, accept the Lord, believe in the Lord, and confess with thy mouth, would we really be saved if we hadn't confessed? Is it enough if I went up to John and I said, Brother John, are you a Christian? And he went, Or would he go, yes, Nicole, I believe. Confess, open our mouths. And oftentimes we do not open our mouths because here's what happens. This is the only words I got for this message. Silence equals surrender. Your silence to the enemy means they're surrendering. If they ain't talking, they're caught up in their mind, I got them defeated because they're not speaking. Because when you speak the word of God, it's creating a different atmosphere. See, the devil is selling you something every day. And if you accept it, you believe it, and you confess it, it will be but the Lord works the same way. He spoke it already to you and I in his written word. So if we accept what we read and we believe it in our hearts and then we begin to confess that which we have accepted and believed and begin to speak it forth, it begins to create what God said it would create. So if you're sick in your body, And you know that it says, by his stripes, I was healed. Not I am, not I might be, not you could be, not you should have been, not you would have been, but you were healed, which is a past tense thing, because it actually happened when Jesus went to the cross. He purchased and paid for everything you need to live your life out without disease and without sickness. Now we can accept that, we can believe it, but if we never confess it, do we really believe it? There's an action to faith. There's a language to faith. Here's what I think of, I think of toddlers. Sometimes as believers, I think that in certain parts of our lives we're growing up. But then there's other parts of our lives that we're still young in the faith or young in the Lord. And toddlers, if you've ever been around them, sometimes they'll point and they grunt and they don't use their words. 
And I think of a story with Quentin and Lincoln, and um, these are my two boys. And Lincoln is three years older than Quentin. And Quentin was about three, so that would have made Lincoln six. But Quentin was still um, addicted to his pacifier. He couldn't lose it for nothing in the world. And he would talk around it. I mean, he would hold it and chew on it and walk around, but not take it out when it came to talking so you couldn't understand him. And I'd say, take it out so I can hear what's happening. But him and Lincoln had this really, really close relationship because they played together all day long. And so Lincoln and him had their own language. Quentin would say something and I'd say, what did you say? Say it again. (laughs) Take your pacifier out and say it. And then Lincoln would tell me and interpret exactly what Quentin said. And I said, you quit interpreting for him. (laughs) I want him to talk. Be quiet. But it was crazy because they had their own type of language together. Faith has its own language. If you don't use the language of faith, then you don't get what you want. Did you hear me? Because acting like a toddler and pointing like this to God, storming around, throwing your fit, doesn't move him at all. I just don't know why I didn't get it. Do you understand? But faith language moves him. When you use the words of God, when you see a struggle in your life and you Go to the word and you find out what it says about your struggle. And then you use what God said about your situation and confess it. It changes it. It changes the situation. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke, thought, and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away those childish things. See, as we mature in our walk with the Lord, right now we're hearing what a faith language looks like. We're hearing that we accept, we believe, and we confess. Now, I'm going to give you some bad news. You're responsible (laughs) to do with what we hear right? It says in the Bible that for him to know to do right and not to do it, for him it is now sin. So you and I have a responsibility in this Christian faith. We don't get to just hear what we hear tonight and then go away and not apply it because we were taught and we know now what the word says about how to use our faith. So now that I'm growing in faith, I don't use childish things to do or to to use or to tell God what I need. I use it to create life. I use it to create a rebellion from the old way I used to do things. I don't do it like that no more because that was the childish way. And I'm rebelling against what I knew and I'm accepting what God's word says and I'm applying it to my life and I'm shaking things up. I'm changing it. I'm changing it. See, sometimes when we get so fed up and we believe 
and accept and confess what God says, it changes the way we perceive our situation. How many of you get caught up sometimes in your own thoughts? Like you're just, you keep looking at this circumstance and you're like, you, you start reasoning. You're thinking of how God's gonna work around this and what he's gonna do. And you just get lost in that space. But when you speak what God says about your circumstances, and I get it, some of these circumstances that are staring us in the face, face honestly, every single day can bring fear and can bring worry bring unrest, like they challenge our peace level, right? Have you ever had like this, this, I don't know, it's just like one of my friends calls it an angst in your gut and it's just not right, right? That's, and sometimes when I'm thinking it over and over and over in my mind of what I can do to fix this situation or, or what I can do to maneuver out of this and do that and do that, it's anxiety because the devil's getting me all worked up about something that I can't fix. Only the Lord can and his word. But when I begin to speak what he says about what I'm feeling, about what I'm frustrated with, about what I'm confused about, about what my struggle is in life, about the sickness that you've been fighting so long, when you reserve and give yourself over to what God is saying and you speak it out of your mouth, all of a sudden God's perspective becomes your perspective. And he looks at your situation so different than you do. You know, sometimes I'm gonna be honest with you and some of us women probably more so than men, but I just feel like we can work up a whole lot of drama in a little bit of time. I can take something that was just meant to be this big and before long, it's this big in my mind. And God's like, just come speak my word. Come look at what my word says. Come back, come back. It's really not that big. It's really not that big. I've got this. Relax. Because God's perspective is different than ours. God's perspective is, I own a cattle on a thousand hills why are you concerned about your electric bill? I am the one who provided healing for your life. Why are you concerned about what tomorrow might bring with your health? When I've given you eternal life with me, I've provided healing, I've provided life giving blood. You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Do you think Jesus walks around sick? No, 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 he don't. And so when we speak the word, we speak his perspective, a bigger, a more truthful, an absolute truthful perspective of our situation. This is is why sometimes that we are taught to hide the word of God in our hearts. You know, there's a scripture that says we write the word of God upon our hearts. We write it. It's so that you'll know it inside and out so that when you're tempted to look at your perspective and when you're consumed with the thoughts of the way you see it, that those words will come up out of your spirit and say, no, but this is what God says. 
When was the last time that we as adults focused and learned and memorized a verse? I said this was gonna be old school. I said this is gonna take you back and this is very generic ABCs. But memory verses just aren't for the kids in the children's church. The reason we teach the memory verses to our children is so that when they grow old, it will be written in their heart. It will be in them so that when the enemy comes with a perspective that is not a renewed mind, that is not God's plan for their life, that they'll rise up and go, no, that's not what God says. That must be a thought of the devil. Because I remember, this is what the word of the Lord would say. I can remember 2 Timothy 1.7. I was scared when I was a little kid. I don't know, I must've thought there were like people under my bed. It was weird. My mom said I was scared of everything, everything that moved. If the, there wasn't a nightlight on, I was scared. Now I'm not as scared of the dark now, that doesn't matter. I was then, but I know 2 Timothy 1.7, like the front of my, it doesn't matter for God not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. I would walk into my home as, I think I was about 10 or 11, and I would walk from the school home, which was about a block and a half, in a little dark, and I'm like, oh, for God not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind, and then I'd run, and then I'd walk, for God not giving me a spirit of fear, because <laughs> I thought if I was running, that meant I was afraid, so I would walk a little bit so that God knew I was serious. <laughs> Memorize scripture. It's not just for children. When I was a child, I spake like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became older, I put away those things. See, we teach our children these things that they're gonna need for their future. I think of when Jesus was tempted. He was tempted in the wilderness. This was before his ministry, before he came out. And the devil came and tempted him three times. Jesus didn't say, oh, wait a minute, let me go get my Bible and look, look that up real quick. He was ready for the fight when the fight came. He was ready to take what the devil was selling him and rewrite according to what the word of God and what God had told him. God sent him, I'm gonna tell you what I'm sending you for and here's the word that you need in order to fight the enemy. He's gonna come and when he comes, you need to be ready. It's not the walk of faith, it's not the sleep of faith, it's not the restful jogger's pace of faith, it's the fight of faith because the enemy's coming not to be kind. He's coming with a vengeance to take your life. He doesn't just want your kid's salvation. He doesn't stop at your marriage. He doesn't stop at sickness and illness. He takes you piece by piece until you stand up, stare him in the face and say no more because God says you cannot come nigh me anymore. Get out. And if you don't come so resolute, so fed up, so done with him coming, he literally does this inch by inch by inch by inch. And before you know it, he's got you peeled against the wall and you call on the elders of the church, don't worry, we come and pray for you and then you get fixed, it's fine. It's not always that easy. It's not always that easy. But if you don't give him an inch, he can't take the mile. 
but you gotta be ready to fight. You gotta be ready to fight. It's time that some of us have come up and that we seriously get so fed up that people around us notice something's different. Your children, when they come home for Thanksgiving, go, mom, I ain't never seen you so fed up with life the way it is and you're doing something. What, what are you speaking? I'm telling you the outcome of what I expect because this is what God said. I've accepted it, I believe it, and now I'm confessing it. Even right out here in the open, I'm just gonna spit it out and say it because I really don't care what people think. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. The Lord said it, what he said he means, what he means he's gonna do, and that's it. Sooner or later, we have to come to that resolve. No bones about it. By design, I am naturally an introvert. I know some of you think, oh, that's crazy, Nicole. Listen, it is truth. When I was younger, I could not go up to a lady at a cash register and return a shirt. And my mom would have to stand around the corner and make me go. Go. Because <laughs> I was afraid to talk to people. I was afraid that she might get mad at me at the register because I didn't like the shirt because it didn't fit right. It was crazy. But my mom pushed me to do the things that I didn't want to do. But sometimes when the enemy comes with life circumstances, I was designed to be the introvert. God made me like that. He knew me. He made me out of my mother's womb. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And he knew every quirk about me and he was okay with it. And my mom thought the Lord needed a little bit of help and that I was too introverted. So get out there and do it. And thank God she did. But the point is, is sometimes when I'm in a spiritual battle, I go real inward and I get real quiet. That's not a gift. That's not a gift when it comes to fighting the devil because silence equals surrender. Silence means I'm no longer looking at God's perspective. I'm inside my head and I'm trying just to stay alive. I'm trying just to survive the combat in my mind of the devil. That's not where I need to be. It's not a good place to be. And if that's you, don't be afraid that's you. Tell your friends that's you. Tell your friends when you see me shut up, when I'm no longer confessing the word, when I'm going silent, tell me, get loud, get loud. You cannot think silent when you're in a fight of faith. When you're in a fight of faith, it's time to get loud against the enemy and use the very word of God, just like Jesus did against the devil when the tempter came. Not once, not twice, three times, and it said the devil left him for a while. Guess what? He was coming back. He was gonna load his barrels, and he was gonna come back. He was waiting for a day when he could find Jesus weak. He realized he had lost that battle. The devil is very patient, and he's not afraid to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. If you write nothing down tonight, write down, silence equals surrender. I have to remind myself that I should speak to the mountain and it will be moved. 
not think about the mountain and it'll be moved, not dwell on the mountain and it will be moved, not try to figure out the mountain and how it's gonna be moved, when, and here's one, and not to whine and point at the mountain. For all of us that are still toddlers in our faith, don't whine and point, that doesn't move Jesus. But I have to speak to the mountain that my ears would hear it with the language of faith and that then it would go and breathe into my heart and speak the creative power that God gave to me. Not to someone else, but to me. Look at yourself and say, to me. God gave you creative power in your mouth. And when you speak, things happen. Isaiah 55, 11. And I'm gonna read this out of the New King James Version. It says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what it please. And it shall prosper in the timing for which I sent it. I prayed that in the beginning. It's huge. Every word that the Lord sent, just like the rain comes down from heaven and goes to the earth, what does it do? Rain don't just come to come. It comes to water the earth. That was the purpose for rain. God tells us that in the verses before this. He said, just like the rain that I send for a purpose, it won't evaporate and come back up to me until it first waters the earth. Has anyone ever seen a raindrop come halfway down before it hits your windshield and go right back up to the heaven? Never, it's impossible. Because God said every time it rains, it will go finish a purpose before it returns to me. Just like his word, the scripture says, if this is what it says, then when you speak the word, it will go forth and it will not return to God until it's done. God has no voided words in heaven. No voided words. Everything that he said in this word that we speak back out must go perform its job before it gets back to him. How would you like to be a word that had a job and didn't do it and go back upstairs and tell God, um, yeah, I just didn't want to do what you said. I don't think that'd go over real well. I don't think you tell God that you didn't do what it said it would do. God does not lie to you and I. His words don't return void. But if you don't speak them, the words are never released to go do what he commanded them to do. And they just sit there and they wait for you and I to use them. They just sit there and wait. And sometimes we get frustrated in sitting and waiting and pointing and whining and complaining that then we get aggravated so we start speaking negative things. We start accepting what the devil's telling us in our mind and we start believing those things and then we start confessing what he wants us to say. And then we're literally 
defeating our purpose because we're sowing bad seed and we're sowing good seed and now you just got a big field full of weeds because everybody knows that weeds grow faster than seeds, right? I'm gonna close with Matthew, the eighth chapter. And we're talking about the centurion. And that just means a Roman officer. And I'm gonna start in the fifth verse. It said, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. In other words, I understand. I tell this one to go and he goes. I tell this one, come here and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jump down to the 13th verse and it says, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. Sounds simple, right? The centurion accepted Jesus as the Christ. He had heard about these wonderful works that Jesus was doing in and throughout and around. He had accepted that Jesus was the man that could do it. And he believed it. So he goes and he says, look, can you do this? He confessed out loud. Jesus said, would you like me to go? He said, no, 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 just say the word. And I know he'll be healed. Literally, he said what he knew Jesus would do out loud. And what happened? Jesus spoke the word and he was healed. The servant used the language of faith. The language of faith that confessed, that said, I'm going to speak what I hope or what I believe or what I have faith in that will happen because I've heard about you doing it around. I've seen somebody probably healed or heard the story of someone and I believe you're the Christ. And now I'm gonna confess it. And I know if you'll just do it, then my servant will be healed. Wasn't even for himself. And in the Bible, we find that this is where Jesus says, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. How amazing would it be? We're not in Israel. So that doesn't mean that we can't get an acclimate like that from the Lord. What if when we get to heaven, he says, I ain't found nobody in Bakken's with such great faith. What if that was our reward? 
because we really took the word at face value. We really did accept that Christ went to the cross for you and I, and that everything was completely finished on that day. And then we believed it. And we really did walk our lives out, confessing what the word of God says in our lives and had a revolution of faith. No longer was our faith, well, maybe, you know, sometimes it works like this and sometimes, like, but every time, left and right, God's moving and shaking things up. And people are like, how is this happening in your life? Because I got serious about what I believed and I started confessing what God said. I took me out of the picture. I took my thoughts out. I took my words out. I took my frustration out. I took my inability to wait out. I took everything that had to do with me and threw it away and said, all I'm gonna do is live on every word that comes out of his mouth. That's what shaking things up in our life is gonna take. I want the fullness of what God has for us in the spirit, amen? I don't want just some faith. I want the fullness of faith. I want great faith. I wanna take the Lord at his word and him say it, me believe it and confess it, amen? Stand to your feet. Silence equals surrender. You can remember that. If you remember nothing else, silence equals surrender to the devil. And when you and I are silenced in our faith, if he can shut us up and get us whining and complaining and pointing and grunting like a child, he's got us right where he wants us. But if we'll just begin to speak like God created us to speak. Not what we know, but what he knows. Then we shall live. Amen? Father, we just come before you tonight. And God, I count it an honor, Lord, that you would share with us tonight, Father, that you went and sent your son to the cross for us, God. Father, it was not for naught. We don't take it lightly. Father, we accept, we accept it. We accept what you gave us, Father, and we believe in the Son of God, and because we believe it, God, we will begin to live off of every word that has come out of your mouth and apply it to our life situation. Father, those of us that have been silenced by the enemy, Father, give them their voice back. Give, stir the faith within them. Stir the faith within them, Father. Remind them, God, of the words that you've spoken. Father, memory verses as a child, Father. Let it come back to their heart, Father. Words that were written, Father, that they've forgotten. Father, bring them back. Quicken their spirits. Quicken their minds. Lord, that they would fight a good fight of faith in the name of Jesus. And Father, I ask, Lord, that you would ignite a diligent heart. 
a diligent heart in every single one of us. Father, that we would become diligent with the things of the word and of the Lord. Father, that we would not take the battles of this life so, so easy, but God, we would become rebellious in the fact that we refuse to receive what the devil is sending our way. And we're not just gonna try to ride it out, but we're gonna run him out in the name of Jesus. Father, arrest us this week. Father, show us, Father, where our faith has just become eh. And set us on fire once again, God, to fight, God, for what you already paid the price for. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Woo! All right, well, you are dismissed tonight. Don't forget Sunday, we are gonna be continuing our series on the heart of generosity. And 